Good morning. It's a beautiful day. Any day is beautiful to serve the Lord, right? Maybe we could rise for a time of prayer and maybe have two brothers pray. Father, we come before you this morning thankful that we can call you Father and that you care for us and that you have sent your Son to die and redeem us from our sins. I pray you'd help us to keep Christ ever before us and that as we go through this service today that we would uh, worship you in spirit and in truth and that we would worship you for what you have done in our lives. Pray you bless the rest of the service. Pray all this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> I don't feel like I have much together today. Uh, Elvin asked me Friday night if I could do an opening. At first, I was reluctant to do it. Um, seemed like the busyness of life was catching up to me, and there was plenty to do, but. Um, he was persistent, which was good. So, um, that was a, that was a blessing as far as, uh, I guess after a little bit, I was like, well, why not? I guess. So, um, so what I share today is out of a book called the Calvary road. I don't know if any of you, uh, read it, but I'm going through that and, uh, only on the second chapter, but, um, it's 
very good and very needful for me and very needful for each one of us. So I'm going to speak on brokenness today. <clears throat> um, so a definition of brokenness is to break or be parted by violence, rent asunder, infirm, or made bankrupt. But then brokenness is a state of being broken. So it's a continuing, can I say, of broken. It's not just a one-time thing. So my first point is, what is brokenness? I hear people talk about brokenness, but what really is brokenness? So in Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, this doesn't specifically say brokenness, but I think, um, talking about being crucified, which is part of being broken, crucifying our flesh, dying to self. But it, the part I want to bring out here is not I, but Christ. So first of all, brokenness is not I. It's not me. It's not what I have done. It's dying to self, and it's the beginning of revival. <clears throat> if you don't have brokenness, you won't have revival in your heart. Um, the Lord Jesus cannot live in us fully and reveal himself uh, through us until the proud self within us is dead. I've done here, this simply means that the hard, unyielding self, which justifies itself, wants its own way and stands up for its rights and seeks its own glory, at last bows its head to God's will and admits its wrong gives up its own way to Jesus and surrenders its rights and discards its own glory. And all of that just so that Jesus might have all and be all. <clears throat> In other words, brokenness, just the simple definition of brokenness is uh, dying to self and self-attitudes and self-desires. So brokenness is dying to self. So then the next point I have is why do we need to be broken? Um, for that, I want to turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It's the, the parable of the, the Pharisee and the publican. Or I guess I don't know if it's a parable exactly, but... <clears throat> so Luke 18, 9 through 14... And he spake this parable unto a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So he, so we see he's talking to the Pharisees, um, or Pharisaical people, shall I say. They were right, they trusted in themselves, and they were righteous, according to their own works, I guess, and despised other people that did not meet up to their standards. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. So the one was a devout, devoutly religious man. He was, um, it was very apparent to other people. He did all the right things. He did all the, uh, what he should. He um, kept the Sabbath and all their other laws. And the other one was a publican or a tax collector or uh, somebody that was maybe even notoriously a sinner. I don't know. It doesn't really say that, but it just says a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I think that's an important key. He prayed with himself. He didn't pray to God. 
he prayed to him or with himself. So basically, he's just talking to himself. He says, "God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess." <clears throat> he's obviously not a broken man. He's uh, praising himself and putting down others. Um, I guess the part that stands out to me there is pride. He's full of himself. <clears throat> and he's talking about what I have done. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Oh, so this point was, why do we need to be broken? And I guess out of this I get, because we are not innocent. Um, we won't really understand the real wrong of the, of the pharisaical attitude, nor of our own, unless we view it against the backdrop of, what, of how God sees us and what God sees in the human heart. God said it is from within, out of the heart of man, that proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. And in, uh, Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like. That's quite the list. Then in uh, Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's, after reading all those things, it's quite a picture of the old man. And it's, it's sometimes hard to believe that this describes all of us here. It describes me. Those, all those things are within our heart if we're not born again and our heart isn't washed with Jesus' blood. from the unconverted to the keenest keenest or most devout Christian, um, even in Christian work, too often self is driving it, self-motivation or pride. <clears throat> it's often self who tries to live the Christian life. Are we trying to live the Christian life? The mere, the mere fact that we were to use try denotes that it's our responsibility. It's what we are doing. This is um, a quote out of the book, and it spoke to me. <clears throat> it is always self who gets irritable and envious and resentful and critical and worried. It is self who is hard and unyielding in its attitude towards others. It is self who is shy and self-conscious and reserved. God can do little with us as long as self is in control. The fruit of the spirit which God longs to fill us with is completely opposite to the hard, unbroken spirit within us. I don't usually think of irritability or critical as my heart being deceitfully wicked. Or as the same as uh, evil thoughts, adultery, fornications, murders, thefts, and covetousness. But in reality, it is. It's not being broken and humble and contrite. 
it's my own will rising up within me. When I had to think right at, right before I read this part of the book and kind of was going through it, I was outside with Selena and Anderson, and I don't know what was about that day, but they were very needy. They would fall on the ground, and then they would cry, and they wouldn't get up because they couldn't get up, they said. You know, they, they just, and a part of me was just that, you can get up. I know you can. Just come on. Just kind of that irritability rising up within me. But then I had to think, especially after this, is that the way my Heavenly Father responds to me? you get frustrated with us. <clears throat> the only beautiful thing about a Christian is Christ Jesus living in us. And without him living in us from day to day, our lives <clears throat> revert to the old man. How often do we protest our innocence by just the little things we allow in our lives? Do we really recognize our hearts? Or do we excuse things and say things like, oh, that's just the way I am. Or that's just the way they are. Or I'm trying my best. When in reality, we're calling God a liar. Because he said those Things are all in our hearts and they need to be crucified. If we feel we're innocent and have nothing to be broken about, it's not that those things are not there, but that we have not seen them. And we've been living in a realm of illusion about ourselves, that we're really righteous, but we're not. God must be true in all that he says about us. <clears throat> and he sees sees our heart and our us expressing ourselves in unconscious, selfish, prideful, and uh, I have written down here. He sees us in all, all these things, expressing ourselves unconsciously sometimes, selfishness, pride, self-congratulation, jealousy, resentment, impatience, reserved, fears and shyness, dishonesty, deception, impurity, and lust, if not in one thing, then in another, but we're blind to it sometimes. If we don't see what's really in our heart and seek God, we're basically calling him a liar because we're saying we're innocent and what he has said is in our hearts, in our heart of man, isn't there. Or perhaps we're so blind with the wrongs of other men that we can't see it. We're so caught up in what somebody else has done that we do not see that <clears throat> we are sinning against Christ and not willing to take take things with his meekness and his lowliness. Somehow we're not in vital fellowship with him. And we're not spiritually crisp. That was a phrase from the book that made me Take notice, spiritually crisp. 
An unconscious sin is nonetheless sin with God, and it separates us from him. The sin, the sin may be quite a small thing, but uh, the sin in question may be quite a small thing, which God will so readily show us if we're only willing to ask. We have to ask <clears throat> to ask for him to take that away, ask for him to redeem it, ask to be broken. So if... Uh, So my second point was, why do we need to be broken? And it's because we're not innocent. And my third point is, brokenness is justifying God. Or saying what God has said is true. And that brings us to the publican in this parable. With all that God says about the human heart and our human desires, we can see that the publican, his confession of sin was simply a justifying of God, a proclaiming what God said was true. Perhaps like the Pharisee, he used to not believe that what God said about man was really true of him, but the Holy Spirit had shown him things in his life which proved that God was right, and he was broken by it. So not only did he probably justify God by saying he was a sinner and recognizing what was in his heart, but he doubtlessly justified God and all the chastening judgments God had brought upon him. This is ever the nature of true confession, true brokenness. It is the confession that my sin is not just a mistake or a slip or something which is really foreign to my heart but that it is something which reveals the real I, that it shows me to be the proud, rotten, unclean thing God says that I am, that it really is like me to have such thoughts and do such things. I'm going to turn to Psalm 51. Fifty-one, four through sixteen, I believe. No, through seventeen. This is after David's sin with Bathsheba, and he says, "Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest." We see <clears throat> David's heart of brokenness and also the real his acknowledgement that the only person he had sinned against well not the only person i guess but that really he had sinned against god in this that he had he says against thee and thee only have i sinned and done this evil in thy sight <clears throat> and he was calling god just for judging him behold i was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. 
Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. God doesn't delight in sacrifice or burnt offerings, but he delights in a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. So my fourth point is brokenness is revival. Back in Luke 18, the publican did more than just to justify God and declare what he said was true. <clears throat> he pointed to the sacrifice on the altar, and he found peace with God and cleansing from sin as he did so. We can see in his words, uh, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. He was recognizing his place before God, but I think it also in that is a recognition of that there was a sacrifice made for him so that he could have redemption. And with us, it's the same. <clears throat> and a man never comes to the position of brokenness. Uh, without God showing him the divine lamb on Calvary's cross. Covering his blood, or covering his sin with his blood, by the shedding of his blood. So, it's also being broken as both God's work and ours. It's not something just God does, but it's not something that just we do. He brings his pressure to bear, but we have have the choice to make. If we're open to conviction and seeking fellowship with God, he'll show us himself. And he'll show us the expression of our own selfish pride that causes him pain. So we can either stiffen our neck and say no, or refuse to repent, or we can say yes, Lord. And bow to him. <clears throat> Brokenness in daily experience is simply the response of humility to the conviction of God. <clears throat> the Bible talks about a daily taking up our cross and following Christ. <clears throat> and I 
say this is brokenness is a daily breaking. It's a daily brokenness. That's kind of the definition of broken was to uh, continuing a state of being broken. So it's a state. It continues on. <clears throat> and a daily brokenness is what allows God to move in our lives. I even want to say brokenness, uh, it's almost a, it, it's a moment by moment sensitivity to sin. When we look to Jesus and see him taking on the form of a servant, we see him willing to have no rights of his own, willing to let men revile him and not revile back, willing to let men tread on him and not retaliate or defend himself. Above all, we see him broken as he meekly goes to Calvary to become men's scapegoat by bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. The God who declares beforehand what is in our hearts by declaring what is in all men's heart also provides uh, provides uh, lacking the word here he provides atonement for our sins he provides a way to be redeemed Jesus was the lamb <clears throat> slain from the foundations of the world and in him who bore them in weakness my sins are finished and as I in true brokenness confess them and put my faith in his blood they are cleansed and gone he washes our sins away he says, as far as the east is from the west. And then we can have peace with God. <clears throat> and fellowship with God, it's, it's immediately restored. Before, that fellowship is broken. But as we bow our hearts to him, and in humility, are broken before him, we immediately have a restored fellowship with God. And we can walk with him in white. So the choice is ours. Either we can protest our innocence and claim that, and harden our hearts, I guess, and claim that what God says about all mankind and their hearts is true. And we can go down to our house unblessed, dry of soul, and out of touch with God. Or we can justify God, declare what he says is true, and enter into his peace, his peace, his fellowship, and victory through the blood of Jesus. <clears throat> so my fifth and final point, this, this point is, all, is from the book as well. It says, and it's a uh, part that struck me, it says, our yieldedness to God is measured by our yieldedness to man. <clears throat> and just thinking about how that ties in as a brotherhood, um, and also with those we come in contact with from day to day. What is our yieldedness to man? Because that shows what our yieldedness is to, to God. The only thing that <clears throat> matters in eternity is souls. Um, and so how yielded are we to men's needs around us? 
There may be an initial dying when God first shows us these things, but ever after it will be a constant dying. For only so can the Lord Jesus be revealed constantly through us. All day, all day long, the choice is up to us, and in a thousand different, different ways every day. It might mean no plans or no time or no money, no pleasures of our own. It will mean a constant yielding to those needs around us. Every humiliation, everyone who tries and vexes us is God's way of breaking us so that there is yet a deeper channel in us for the life of Christ. How do we look at those around us that vex us and try us? Do we see them as God's working to break us so that we can be more open and a deeper channel for him and his love? We see that the only life that pleases God, and that can be victorious, is his life, never our life, and no matter how hard we try. But in as much as our self-centered life is the exact opposite of his, we can never be filled with his life unless we are prepared for God to bring our life constantly to death. In closing, uh, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me.